For scripture reading this morning, I'll be reading from Isaiah 55. I'll be reading from the ESV. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without price and without money. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for, which, for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and the nation that you did not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he is glorified, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For the rain and snow come down from the heavens, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty to me, but it will accomplish that which I purpose." and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you into singing, and the tr all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Greet you in the worthy name of Christ. Uh, we have a number of visitors here, and so um, a few words to you. Uh, we have been studying in the book of Mark, and uh, so we're going to be jumping in, and there's a lot of things that we've heard and we're assuming that you haven't, so I apologize in advance for um, some of that. I'll give you a bit of an overview of the book of Mark. In Mark, we see primarily the unfolding of Christ as the Son of God. We see God working His purposes in the world through the man, Christ. And we see Him making some, uh, some pretty amazing claims for a poor boy from Nazareth to be making. And we see the world around Him reacting to those claims. But the primarily claim that Mark makes is that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, this morning we are in Mark chapter 4, and we are looking specifically at verses 26 to 34. And the question we would ask ourselves to begin is how does the kingdom of God grow? And what does the Son of God have to do 
with that growth and how certain is that growth. See, most people today will settle for a certain mediocre success over a risky chance for reward. There's a reason people drive Toyota Camrys and Honda Accords. They may not be smart, sporty, and they may not be the best looking, but they start every time, and they deliver consistent utility. We value certainty. We like reliability. In fact, our societies are built upon ideas of certainty. And this desire for certainty is all around us. So uh, we, we go to the grocery store and we buy a gallon of milk. And we buy it on the certainty that the printed date says that this is fresh milk. And we assume that to be certain because we like that certainty and we want to trust the person who did that. So how do we consider the kingdom of God? Is it assured? Is it certain? Do we really live our lives as if it is such? Or is it a, a chance? Do we hold faith merely because we think the possible outcomes are better than atheism? We've all heard this quote. Um, if I'm wrong, I've got nothing to lose. If you're wrong, you're going to hell. Is that really the basis of our faith in the kingdom of God? Are we there merely for our own survival? Are we choosing the better of the worst outcomes? Or is there something bigger and more certain going on? If we observe modern entrepreneurs, the successful one had a clear vision of what they were going to accomplish, and they believed with everything in themselves that they were going to be successful. How certain are we of the growth of the kingdom globally and locally in our own hearts? How certain are we of the kingdom of God? Our text this morning helps us to see how the kingdom grows. And hopefully this morning we can be drawn to the certainty of the kingdom of God. Again, our text is Mark 4, and I'll begin reading at verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches 
so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pause for prayer. Father, we recognize this morning that your word contains all that is profitable for godliness. And and this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what is profitable from your word. May its truth eternally change us into the likeness of our Savior Christ. We ask this through his worthy name. In our last text from Mark, we asked ourselves why the gospel was hidden or why it is hidden and, and what are the ways in which we put the gospel under a basket or, or throw it under a bed? What are the ways in which we stop the light of the gospel from shining? Our text today turns now to instruct us as to how the kingdom of God grows as we allow the light of the gospel to spread forth in the world. And so, a summary statement before we launch in. Wherever the word of God is sown, the growth of the kingdom of God is divinely mysterious, progressively inevitable, and eternally expanding. I'll repeat that. Wherever the word of God is sown, the growth of the kingdom of God is divinely mysterious, It is progressively inevitable, and it is eternally expanding. We must first consider, before we launch into those three main points, whether this growth is referring to the entire church of Christ, the entire kingdom of God around the world, or are we speaking of the individual growth of the kingdom in our own hearts? And I think I would contend that it is, it is both. That which brings about growth in the individual human heart ultimately brings about the growth of the entire kingdom. And so we see that the seed is sown. The, the, the parable of the soils tells us that when the seed is sown in good soil, it, it sprouts and it brings forth life. And so this growth takes place in the individual heart's and minds of Christians. And then it also takes place in the worldwide eternal church of Christ. And so the first phrase there we have is that that it is divinely mysterious. Verse 27 says that the growth occurs, but the sower knows not how it grows. It even mentioned that he goes to bed and he rises and he goes to bed and he rises and he goes to bed and he rises and the seeds grow. And he doesn't really understand how. Now, if you have a history in farming, uh, you understand this. One day you take your tractor out and you drive through the fields and you plant some corn seed. And you go about your work and, and sometimes you probably even forget that you did that. You don't every hour run out and dig up a seed and make sure it's growing. But it it does. 
but, but you don't expect it to grow instantly. You don't expect to walk out there an hour later and, and have two feet of corn. But in its due time, you will see a little green starting to poke from the ground. Amazingly, even today with our vast knowledge of, of horticulture and the science of growing things, we still have no idea why seeds grow. We know how they grow, and we can divide that into myriads of libraries of textbooks, how seeds grow, but we don't know why seeds grow. And as a little aside, that is the problem of science. Science tells us how things work. It can never tell us why things work. And so the study of horticulture tells us that most of a seed is food for the growing part to feed upon. It tells us that most seeds have a thick shell around them to protect them, to keep them from rotting. But in all our knowledge, we can't create that seed. We can't take all the chemical things and put it together. We could probably make a very close replica of what a seed is. That seed will never grow. We just know that when certain conditions, as far as moisture, temperature, and environment are met, the seed grows. And with all the hybriding and experimenting, we cannot make a seed grow. In the same way, the soil cannot cause growth without the seed. And so in the parable of the soils, we, we looked at four different types of soils, but any growth was dependent on the seed being sown within those soils. And so, we, so the parallel that Jesus is making here is into our spiritual lives. We cannot create spiritual growth. We cannot force the Word of God into a person's heart and make it bring forth life. All we know is that for ourselves, we heard the Word and it penetrated and we grew. But we don't know how it grows. We don't know why it grows. This remains a mystery. The seed of the Word of God penetrates our heart. The gloriousness of the Savior calls us to repent and believe. And we did. Others have heard the same message and scorned it. Nicodemus was inquiring to Jesus about this. And, he, and Jesus replied to him, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it came from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. James 1.18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. We observe spiritual life, but we have no formula with which to create it. There is no theology class that can impart spiritual life. There is no parent that can create spiritual life in their child how badly they would wish to, 
It takes the plowing of the heart soil by the Holy Spirit to receive the seed of the word and to plant and to put forth growth. We must be careful to ascribe all of the growth to the seed. The seed contains the life. The soil of itself cannot bring forth life. John MacArthur says, No human being, no matter how persuasive, no matter how clever, makes a contribution to regeneration, conversion, or justification. All we can do is give the truth. We can't change hearts, and we can't produce life from dead people. But yet we we try so hard to do this on our own. We wish so deeply to be able to do this. The story is told of a Chinese emperor without a son. And as he was aging, he was attempting to devise a way to find his replacement. And so he devised a contest. He would pass out seeds. And the young boy who could grow the greatest plant would become the next emperor. And so in the time of the giving out of the seed, there were many young boys there. And they all took their seeds. And there was one boy who was known to be quite a grower of plants. And he took his seed home and he planted it in the best soil he had. And he paid careful attention that this seed would grow. But it didn't. And so he repotted it. And it didn't grow. And he heard of his friends and the boy across town whose plants were growing magnificently and he thought to himself, why is my seed not growing? And the time of the presenting of the plants of the emperor came and he had nothing but an empty pot. And so he took his empty pot to the emperor and he said, I'm sorry, my seed didn't grow. And around him were all the Amazing plants that the other boys had grown. And the emperor said, But my son, the seeds were cooked. They couldn't grow. You see, everyone else substituted the seed. And often we wish to do the same. We wish to substitute a seed of our own to create a growth. We wish by our own efforts to bring about spiritual growth and we ignore the seed of the Word of God that exists for us. It is the only seed which will bring forth growth. And so the growth of the kingdom is a divine mystery. Yes, it is mystery, but it is rooted in the certain God and the certain creator of the universe. Secondly, the growth of the kingdom of God is progressively inevitable. It is progressively inevitable. Again, we return to the imagery of a seed. We do not expect to plant a seed and return the next day to harvest the fruit or enjoy the flowers. Time is needed to see the growth 
come to full maturity. Verse 28 and 29 state that first we see a little shoot, and then we see a full plant, and then we see the fruit. 1 Peter 1 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So this seed is imperishable. When planted in profitable soil, it will grow. It will accomplish its purpose. And it will be progressive. We cannot expect to one day come to faith and the next to be fully sanctified. Upon faith, we see a person needing the simple milk of the Word. And as they progress in their understanding and knowledge of God, they grow to a more full and mature understanding. And they feast on mature food. But that mature food is found in the same surpassing Word of God that the milk is found in. Ephesians 4.8 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And so the means of our growth is to continually plant the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives. The initial seed of the Word is sown, and we continue to apply that Word into our lives. And as we do that, growth occurs. In fact, if the faithful application of the Word is maintained, growth is inevitable. It must happen. It will happen. As we heard in Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Those words are not words of wavering. Those are words of certainty. God's word will not return void. God's word applied to the soil of the heart will bring forth the fruits of righteousness. And so if you bathe your life in the word of God, you will grow. If you water your heart with the word of God, it will grow more into the image of Christ. It will cause you to defeat sin. It will cause you to bear spiritual fruit. Too often as we, as we confront the immature areas of our life, the sinful areas of our life, we, we simply to attempt to devise human means of overcoming. We ascribe to what I call bootstrap Christian living. I'm going to make myself good enough. But the real power is not in our abilities, but it is in the Word of God. We are to engage the sin in our hearts with our entire beings. We are to make war against sin. But the weapons are not our human weapons. The weapons are the words of God. 
The weapons of spiritual warfare are the words of God. And so we defeat sin when we allow the word of God to be the two-edged sword that divides and clarifies. If you reflect on the whole armor of God, we see that it is knowing and identifying God as truth and allowing His word to shape and control us. And if we do that, it is certain it will accomplish its purposes. It is inevitable. And it is progressive. Finally then, we see that the kingdom of God is eternally expanding. The second parable of our text here develops the scope of the kingdom of God. And in the imagery of a small seed that turns into a large bush, we see a fundamental element of the kingdom of God. Throughout history, God has taken what is insignificant and minuscule and small, and He makes it eternally massive. This theme is woven through every biblical story. The speechless, scared Moses becomes the fearless leader of God's people who brings to them the words of God. He couldn't speak, but yet he delivers the words of God to his people. David, the little insignificant shepherd boy, becomes the warrior king after God's own heart. Daniel, the expendable captive boy, becomes the presence of God among pagan people and kings. Job suffered massively, but reaped eternal rewards. The apostles, the disciples, this bunch of fishermen and various haggardly outcasts of society. But Jesus' life transforms them in such a way that they set the world on fire with the good news of the gospel. Jesus himself came to the earth in poverty and austerity. Those observing would often say, isn't this Jesus of Nazareth? Joseph's boy? The carpenter? In other words, this Jesus who's a nobody from the backwoods of Nazareth? He? The Messiah? But that's what the kingdom of God does. It takes that which is insignificant, that which is small. It takes each of us in our small abilities and it uses them for the advancing of the kingdom. God takes what is outcast and insignificant and His Word transforms it into beauty. And similarly, His kingdom is eternally expanding. In our popular world today, the church is a laughingstock, very similarly to the way Jesus was a laughingstock. They say, you believe what? The world was created in seven days? It's preposterous. By a God, your imaginary friend in the sky spoke the world into being? And they make a laughingstock. 
an obscure good man from Palestine is the Lord of the universe? And we say, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the way it is. And we can look at history and smile. Because all across history, all across the history of the world, kings and nations have attempted to toll the death knell bell of Christianity. And 2,000 years later, presidents and kings and nations rise and fall. But God's kingdom rolls on, growing. As the image of the statue in Daniel is bowled over by the rock of Christ, so onward the kingdom grows, mysteriously, inevitably, and eternally. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean individually for each of us? As I mentioned in the introduction, we value certainty. We like things to be firm. We like things to be reliable. And here, fellow Christian, is certainty. Certainty in spades. Here is a certainty with which you can base your life. God will spread His word among the nations. He will grow His kingdom. That is certain. His word as it spreads among His people will bring about divinely caused life. And that is certain. We don't need to amend the word to fit our modern age. We don't need to blend the message of Christ with modernity. The modern age will amend to fit the purposes of the world. This is certain. This is certain because the author of history, it is he who wrote this word. It is he who is, in John 1, the word. The God who wrote history will bring it to pass according to his eternally expanding purposes. This, fellow Christian, is true certainty. Certainty worth giving your life away to attain. And so again, we end with the simple gospel call. The author of humanity, the certain Lord of the universe, invites you to hear the word and allow it to grow within you. The Son of God extends forgiveness that He purchased on the cross. And He offers a new life of which He Himself is the first to partake of in the resurrection. And He calls us to turn away from serving our own certainty, calls us from away from serving our own means and ends, to repent of our self-service and to join the certain kingdom of God, the mysterious, the inevitable, and the eternal kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as members of your kingdom, we rejoice that it is certain that by your word you bring forth 
life in our hearts, that by your word you call the nations to yourselves, that by your word redemption is gained. Father, help us not to rest on our own abilities, not to rest on our own glory, on our own certainty, but to lay all that at the foot of the cross and to rest in in the certainty of your lordship, in the certainty of the growth of your kingdom in our hearts, in our communities, and in our world. May we join in that kingdom. Father, I pray that you would do this good work in our hearts. We pray this through the worthy name of Christ. Amen.